Hello, and welcome to Law, the Universe, and Everything. I'm your host, Pacifico Soldati. The show explores topics from law and business to consciousness, spirituality, and everything in between. We feature accomplished leaders across many fields to help you get more out of your life. You can learn more and stay up to date at theluepodcast.com. If you're not familiar with my background, I'm a helper, parent, marketer, attorney outlaw, certified mediator, story brand guide, omnist, yoga teacher, and a former paratrooper and award-winning army chef at the 82nd Airborne Division and U.S. Army Special Operations Command. I'm the founder and CEO of the Soldati Group, a marketing agency helping startups, small businesses, and law firms leverage the power of story to grow their businesses. Law, the Universe, and Everything is a production of the Soldati Group. All opinions expressed by the hosts and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinions of the Soldati Group or guest employers. This podcast is for information and entertainment purposes only, and these discussions do not constitute legal or investment advice. Today's episode is brought to you by MarketingForAttorneys.com, which helps attorneys and law firms to clarify and upgrade their marketing and messaging to help grow their firms while reducing reliance on pay-per-click advertising. Visit MarketingForAttorneys.com to book your free consultation today. My guest today is Richard Friesen. Richard works with professionals and business leaders who want to increase their personal effectiveness with joy and grace. His neuroscience-based mind muscles model gives his clients the opportunity to reach their goals with online training, simulations, interactive exercises, group support, and real-time decision processes. Richard has been a futures broker for Merrill Lynch, a floor trader on the Chicago Board of Trade, the Chicago Mercantile Exchange, and the options floor of the Pacific Exchange, where he built and sold a successful options trading firm. He also served on the exchange's board of directors. He founded and built a financial software company and is the inventor of 10 significant trading interface patents. This combined with his master's degree in clinical psychology, neurolinguistic programming, master certification, and neuroscience focus brings a unique framework to business, investing, and career success. Welcome to the show, Richard. Thanks so much for being here. Well, I am so delighted, especially to be on a program that is so broad-based. And my guess is that broad-based, as you talk to different people, we will come down to how the human brain operates, how we behave, and how we can improve our lives. So I think that broad base is going to be fascinating as we move forward today. Oh, I definitely think so. You have such a unique background. I don't know that I've encountered many people with the, the finance and investing and trading background that are also into clinical psychology or into NLP. So that's that's just really fascinating. So I guess one thing I'd love to start at the nexus of that is how can people change their relationship with money to find more wealth and monetary success in their lives? This is fascinating because I never, it never occurred to me it would be a problem or issue. And okay, I'll go into a short story. My own life is that I worked for a large arbitrage firm that had hundreds of millions of dollars and it was, we were very successful. And then I went out on my own. And the first year I was very careful and I made 125,000. The next year, very careful and made 150. And this is a lot less than I had made before, but that was when I had the huge capital behind me. And then I made 150 and got up to 200,000, but got stuck there for a couple of years. And then in the middle of the night, it was in April of uh, 95, I heard a voice and the voice woke me up and the voice said, Rich, 
You're only worth $200,000. I sat up in bed. I looked around. There was nobody in the room. My wife was still sleeping. Apparently, she hadn't heard. (laughs) (laughs) It was a voice inside my head that was telling me a truth that I had not realized. So I got up really early, went to the floor of the Pacific Exchange. It was still locked. I sat on the uh, concrete steps and waited. And when I went in, I did something I had never done before. I went to the best spot in the pit. Now, they're no longer pits. Of course, everything is electronic. But at that time, you didn't own a spot in the pit. It was commandeered by the most toughest, capitalized, meanest, the most aggressive, the person who had the most gravitas, whatever it was in that pit, there was somebody who stood in between the two major brokers in front of the book staff who got to hear all the orders first. I stood in that spot. Now, as the other market makers came in and the crowd gathered, the guy who owned that spot, who believed he owned it anyway, stood beside me chatting. And when the bell went off, he just tapped my shoulder, expecting me to move. And I didn't. So we started pushing and the exchange staff warned us there was a $10,000 fine if we broke out into a fight. And it took about four months for me to own that spot. I had to get there early, be the first one every morning. I had a lawn chair that I brought in to sit so I could wait for everybody else. But eventually the pit <laughs> ceded that spot to me. And I went on to make over $600,000 that year and many years after. But what it was, what was the difference? It wasn't skill. It wasn't knowledge. It wasn't anything except my mindset. And that is where I went back to my psychology. I got training in NLP. And I learned that our belief systems, our behaviors, they are created by ourselves and are a huge influence on how, on the outcomes of our lives. Wow, that's huge. And it's amazing you have such like a, an interesting physical example of that going on. I know a lot of people, they read, get into things like say rich dad, poor dad or something because they've grown up with parents who said, hey, money doesn't grow on trees or money's the root no. of all evil. Things are those things that kind of create toxic relationships and limiting beliefs around money. And so I, I feel like I've heard of lots of people who read things like that and it changes their mentality. But I love how you had this like really great actual like physical, at some points like altercation, uh, but this sort of really physical manifestation of, of your transition there. That's incredibly powerful. And I'm sure it reinforced it even more. You're supercharged in your own brain when you're in that position. It's almost like a you know, power posing or something like that. That's an excellent point. And that happened to me, which felt like accident. But then I started thinking, what if, imagine what if we could make those changes intentionally? And that's where uh, many years ago, I started working on that. I I built a trading firm eventually, and I had traders that just would hit certain limits and then stop. And so I brought in a hypnotherapist and we discovered that the internal limits and what you said was so important are the beliefs around our families, our survival mechanisms, our culture. In fact, I'm concerned about our cultural issues right now around wealth and money. And people are internalizing a huge amount of conflicting stuff 
And that is a primary limit to what we can do. So if we invest money in our skills and schooling, if we uh, have these visions of what we want out of our lives, but we have these subconscious patterns, oh my gosh, it's like an anchor around our ankle. Oh, totally agree. I've experienced that for myself. And I, I was just talking to one of my last guests about the long-standing trauma, even of the Great Depression, right? And like most, mm -hmm. I'm a Zennial, I was born in 83. So both my parents are boomers mm -hmm. and they were both raised by people who lived through the Great Depression. And you'd see things like they'd never not finish a plate of food or something. I know yeah. that was like really big in my father's household because you didn't even know how much food there was going to be. And that just gets ground into your brain when you're like five years old and it yeah. never goes away. You're just like a traumatized child, even when you're 70 years old and it just, you keep continuing those patterns. And so I feel like there's so much, even people talk about whether it's the great recession in 08 and 2009, or just like what's going on in the last year with COVID where <laughs> We've got these two, you know, really big economic earthquakes just in the last decade plus, but we're still processing the Great Depression. And we haven't even fully moved on from that because it's created such a scarcity mindset, an insecurity mindset. And so people that in so many people that, like you said, like you just can't break free of that. Like you can say, oh, I want to make money. Oh, I'm going to get this job. I'm going to do X, Y, and Z. But that subconscious is so powerful. You're talking, you had a great example, like it. Your subconscious effectively woke you up in the middle of the night and kind of said, hey, <laughs> you're only worth a quarter mil a year. Like you suck. And you're, wait, what? Like, oh, how can I, how can I overcome this? How can I do this? And most people are not lucky enough to have their subconscious wake them up in that regard. And hopefully they can get to it in other ways. But I think it's so important because it does govern so much of our experience because it is all mindset. You can have someone with a million dollars who feels poor and you can have someone with nothing who feels rich. It's all the way that you can shift your perspective around things and open yourself up to what's possible. Oh boy, that you couldn't have said it better. And like my father grew up in the depression and he reports having large sandwiches. His father, my grandfather worked three jobs. They came, they moved from the farms in the Dust Bowl to Eastern Canada, Ontario, and they wore tossed off, discarded streetcar conductor jackets that the city gave them. And so my dad, what did he do? He went the other way. He worked three jobs. He made lots of money. He couldn't keep it because it wasn't, he again had his own limits. So he would make lots of money and lose it, make lots of money and lose it. But he was so driven to make money that his family suffered because he wasn't around, because he was still reacting to that. And I still have some of that depression mentality in terms of saving things and not wasting money or going to a restaurant and ordering water rather than something to drink. <laughs> Even though I don't I have enough money and I can retire easily and it doesn't matter, I still have those habits. Yeah, it's amazing what can get baked in at a young age. And then you basically spend your whole life just trying to overcome those things. And most people don't even ever realize that's what's going on. So they don't really know what's wrong. Mm -hmm. So Pacifica, what if you look at your own life and you and it looks like you're a pretty aware person, what do you see patterns in your life that may resonate with people that are listening to this today that we could start to maybe unfold or explore a bit? 
For sure. I think, I think for me, it's, I'm someone who I'm very much a variety is the spice of life. I love to experience the diversity of life. I've, you know, been a paratrooper and chef in the army. I've been a certified yoga teacher, got my JD MBA, run a marketing agency. So I, I love to reinvent myself, love to do a lot of different things. I've really, I've hit rock bottom multiple times. I've been homeless, had multiple deployments in the military. I've seen the the lowest economic status that people live in around the world. So I've seen the highest of the highs and the lowest of the lows, but multiple times I've had to start over and just recently finished up a divorce and have basically started over completely and fashioning something new. And this is this podcast itself has been an interesting part of that journey. But I think all along, I had a lot of those sort of limiting beliefs around money, whether it was like, oh, I don't care about money. Money's not important to me. Like, I just want to save the world. I just want to help people. But as I look around, the people that are really able to make the most impact are the people that have the most money because you can just shift things seismically. And there's absolutely amazing people doing amazing work, whether it's in public interest law, working with homeless people that don't have very much money, but the scale of what you're able to do, even though it is important to be able to help, you know, individual people, but for the ambition that I have wanting to change the lives of billions of people for the better, like that takes some capital, that takes a megaphone, that takes a platform where you can reach a lot more people. And so for me, it's really been a journey uh, the past few months to really reset and rewire my brain for how to achieve wealth and my relationship with money. And one of the most transformative things actually has been I took up the practice of transcendental meditation, which normally costs anywhere from 500 to a thousand dollars to learn it. A lot of people are always like, why does this cost money? Why does this do this? And it's like, hey, you gotta pay, you gotta pay the people in the program to exist and to teach people how to do it. And, but for me, being able to tap into a level of pure consciousness, even beyond the subconscious has really allowed me to open up things in my day-to-day life that I can freely change my mindset about things in a way that is more impactful and longer lasting and really excited to see where it's gone. And really this podcast has been something that I was advised by a few people to do. And I started setting it up and it really just started taking off. I started outreach last Wednesday. It's now the following Friday, but this past Monday, I had five guests booked for this week. And by Wednesday morning, I had 10. I've had five guests today or the the fourth actually, but I've got probably 20 to 30 people booked another 20 committed. And so I'm like, okay, this seems to be coming together, being able to give you know, people a platform. And to me, it's going to go back to the old Zig Ziglar quote of give people what they want, you'll get everything you want. And <laughs> for me, that's, that's just kind of what I'm doing and experimenting with right now and seeing where it takes me. Well, I think what you said is so important. In the book that I just completed, it's called Conversations with Money. And really, it's about a process of delivering value. So if you want money itself, then you're setting up internal conflicts. But if your day is focused on how can I deliver value to people in the world, then you are creating a path and a process for for more profits and more money, but you're doing it in a way and in a process that is delivering value. So I really appreciate what you said, and I think that is right on. Yeah, I think leading with value is so important. And I see a lot of people out there on LinkedIn and other social media platforms in the sales and marketing space. And you'll have people just, it's just 
trying to shove an offer down someone's throat 24 yeah. 7 and it's hey like that never really worked it worked a little better back in the day but like, it does not work at all anymore you know people are just going to tune out immediately if you can lead with your personality with authenticity and above all like providing value to people people get so worried they hoard their value that they're like oh i can't give this away for free but it's like, if you give value to people expecting nothing in return you'll get more in return than your wildest imaginations mm -hmm. so if we look at what your pattern has been in the past, which is to start something new. You have the courage to do it. You have the intelligence, the ability to learn new skills. You're confident enough to step into arenas that you don't know a lot about and you learn as you go. And then something has happened and you go down to the bottom again. And you sounds like you've repeated this pattern a few times. Yeah, I would say so. Sometimes it's a circumstance beyond my control. Sometimes it's just shiny new object syndrome. Sometimes it's not really knowing what exactly I want in a greater sense than though I want, you know, money, I want to be more comfortable or something. Mm -hmm. And I think the thing I've really seen lately, especially in my TM practice, because I've been on TikTok and other things, like I get exposed to a lot of people with law of attraction type stuff and, you know, how to manifest things. And, and it's been really wild about people telling, learning about really getting clear on what it is that you want. Because if you're scatterbrained, the universe doesn't really know exactly mm -hmm. what to give you and you're just going to stay stagnated. And so the more that I had started to really get concrete about that, whether it was writing it down or whether it was meditating on it, things would start to come together that I was just like, I would just laugh and just be like, are you kidding me right now? Whether it was like meeting new people, finding new networks. And I just moved to Phoenix last year in the middle of the pandemic, which is I work from home. There's like virtually no way to meet anyone. Everything's shut down for a while. And then I happened to find like a new business network that is in a couple of months completely transformed my life and introduced me to some of the most amazing people I've ever met. And it only takes those little moments. It only takes one connection or, you know, even a few years back, I had someone give me probably the best recommendation I've ever received from a person. And he barely knew me. We had, I was actually job shadowing for a CEO. He's a CEO in GC. Uh, the gray market electronics reseller uh, down in Irvine, California, while I was, you know, finishing up my JD MBA and I had just started a cannabis business solutions firm. I was like looking like, how do I get something going? And I asked him if he had any contacts. He knew a cannabis lobbyist and he basically told him like, hey, Pacifico can do absolutely everything. And this guy was, oh, I think this guy's the best judge of talent in the country. So you're obviously like amazing. And I was just like, okay. And I was just like, all right, I'm like, not gonna, gonna say I'm not like, I'm just gonna jump on board. And that took me into a really incredible industry with this stuff called hypochlorous acid, HOCL for short, it's the chemical or white blood cells produced to fight infection. It's, you know, got dozens of different uses and took that into the cannabis industry, spent the last two and a half years becoming like a subject matter expert on that. Now I'm on the verge of, um, becoming a fractional CMO for my third HOCL company. I mean, it just you know, opened up incredible doors and all because one person gave me like a, an opportunity and a recommendation I in no way deserved. And those things can just be absolutely transformational. Okay. So it sounds like you have broadened and everyone thinks it's that one person, but what it is, it's an attitude of openness to many people. Mm and Absolutely. building positive relationships and then those one or two people pop out of it and that's wonderful 
yeah, it's been really wild, just really strengthening my ability to network and building relationships that are like more meaningful, more authentic, longer lasting. And because even with this new networking group, just a few weeks in and I'd meet new people and they're like, oh, yeah, I've heard all about you. I'm just like, what? And then some, oh, I guess people are talking about me and, you know, can start to make a name for myself. And then I just try and lead with value. And I, I reach out to everyone I meet. And I'm like, hey. I've seen what you're doing. If there's any way I can ever help you, let's see how we can bring things together. Because, you know, for me, it's kind of just like I try to go with the flow, kind of live in the Tao and not force things. So I'll cast some, cast my lines out there and then I just see what bites and who responds and, and how things are going to go. Because all the things I've tried in the past were really just really try to force something and really would think, oh my God, like this is going to be huge. I'm going to make a million dollars and this is going to be amazing. And then it would just crash and burn. And now just getting into a flow of being able to identify the opportunities before me and seeing the people that really resonate with me, seeing the people that really want to work with me and value me. And I can stand in that value. And it's just been incredible to watch that transformation happen. But I think what you're bringing up is really important that you've had a number of cycles in the past of <clears throat> great ideas, excitement, build, crash, and burn. So if we're looking at those cycles, and a lot of people here, and I've done this myself, so I count that <clears throat> myself as a compatriot there. So as we look, and maybe other people who have gone through these cycles, let's look and see what creates those cycles. And can we intentionally create a new process for our life? So if you look back, what do you consider your present state of mind and processes that are different than the excitement crash and burn? I think it's the complete destruction of self-doubt that I currently inhabit. I think there was even times like different times I had started my own companies and I'd have co-founders that were like, we're going to take us to the moon. And I would just be like, yeah, cool. I don't know if that's going to happen. And then it wouldn't. And it was just like that. It just takes that little bit of like self-doubt. And I was actually fortunate enough. I had this, I want to say past February, past March. I I was turned through a series of interesting chain of events. I was introduced to a book called Many Lives, Many Masters by Dr. Brian Weiss. And he's like the leading hypnotherapist and he specializes in past life regression therapy and has just done some absolutely tremendous stuff. And I was like, this is insane. Like this stuff is really amazing. And so I was fortunate enough. I was like, I got to try this. <laughs> and I went through that and had an incredibly powerful experience and kind of went into it just, hey, I don't really have anything like super crazy I want to work on, maybe like some anger and self-doubt. But like, otherwise, I just kind of want to see what happens. But as we went into it, she was just like, like, just go somewhere, go to a past life that can just help you in this life and went on this <laughs> absolute crazy journey. And when I came out of it, it just completely turned the volume down, both on the minimal anger that I had left and the self doubt. And it just basically shut those spigots off. And so since then, as I've navigated through even with months of just like setting up a new company this year in the middle of a pandemic and slowly getting things going, thinking certain people were going to be like, we're already signed on to be clients and those things wouldn't work out. And even whether things were going great or, or just like in in a valley, I just had this serene level of, yeah, this is all going to work out. This is going to be fantastic. And I've just continued to go along with that. Otherwise, I would have been in that previous mindset of, oh, I can't do this. What am I doing out here? I need to go get a job. I need to go, you know, kill myself for someone else for 60 to 80 hours a week. I could never do this on my own. And now I'm at a point where I'm just like, 
oh, I can do anything. I can absolutely do this on my own. I can do X, Y, and Z. And I just look for the different signs of, okay, how exactly is it going to happen? But I can detach myself from the outcome. I can detach myself from the how and wait for it to unfold as opportunities present themselves to me because I just keep being approached by all these people now that want to work with me. And it's just figuring out the synergies and figuring out how to do it. And I've always been a connector and always been a helper. I'm someone I've always had a great sort of mental Rolodex for Mm -hmm. what people do and what people want. Like I had a friend in my first year of law school and she was like, I really want to do education law. And I was like, oh, you know what? I think I have a good friend I went to undergrad with and he's now an education lawyer. And I put them together, boom, she got a job working as firm. And now she's an attorney in education law, which is like a fairly obscure type of law that most people like don't think about or jump into. But I love that kind of stuff. But it's also something I've always done for free. And so something this year that I've transitioned to is like, I really need to get to a point of being able to actually monetize that. So if I'm like helping make deals go down, if I'm helping uh, startups find investors and things like that, how do I get a little piece of it then can help me sustain like what I'm building that I can help other people in the ways that I want to help them. Okay, great. Now, what is different in your mindset from your different transformational experience from the excitement and crash and burn to what is now? In other words, are you still in the same process or what have you learned to say something that's different and what is different in your mindset, in your beliefs, in your behaviors? And I think this is really important. If we have a process, a repeated process that hasn't served us well, and we're now here where we are with increased awareness, increased understanding, to be able to verbalize and to articulate and visualize a different set of behaviors that will have a different outcome. And this is wisdom maybe you can impart to everybody. What is the difference? What different context, beliefs, and behaviors do you have now that are different than the cash and crash and burn pattern? So I think just beyond the lack of self-doubt and more of a confidence in my own abilities and and my ability to make everything happen, it's really been shoring up some of my weaknesses, which in general, I'm very much, I believe in the concept of playing to your strengths, hire your weaknesses. You don't need to be wasting your time, like trying to like bring up all your weaknesses. But for me, one of my big weaknesses is something I felt was very important, which is putting systems and frameworks in place so that I can streamline things, make my life more you know, simple, make it easier to do business, not be stressing out over every little thing, automating certain processes. Because when I started my marketing agency, I didn't want to have to rely on, oh, Pacifico is so cool and smart and fun to work with. So let's work with them. I wanted something that was like, Pacifico gets results and can do it across various industries and can replicate those results. And in a way where it was like, I'm not replicating them just because I'm smart or capable, but I have different frameworks that I can draw upon that I know work and I know get results. And so that led me down the path of getting different certifications, putting different frameworks and systems in place that I can be confident, okay, this is the mental lattice work and business lattice work that I can create, that I can draw upon at any time, no matter what I'm doing, and that I can build a successful business off that. And then as I went along, I'm very much, like I said, I'm a hardcore generalist. 
I love to do all sorts of different stuff. So I hate to pick a niche. And but as I was going along, I was in a marketing seminar and I was talking to a lawyer from Chicago, does like property tax abatement. He just graduated law school, probably like mid 20s, mid 30s. But his father is like a legend. He used to be like a Supreme Court clerk back in the day. And so he goes into his father's firm. And he's like helping bring it into the 21st century. So he's telling me like that they were spending over a quarter million dollars a year on pay-per-click advertising or sorry, not pay-per-click advertising, but direct mail advertising. And he had no way to know how much that was working because it's mostly like brand awareness more than anything. And I just had this light bulb moment. I was like, Pacifico, you're a lawyer and a marketer. You were raised by a lawyer and a marketer. You grew up in courthouses and ad agencies. And even though it's not your passion in life, you are born to help lawyers to fix their marketing. And because a lot of it is, it's either wicked salesy or they're trying to play the hero. Here we got guys with like cut off sleeves. You got guys that are like super jack, just trying to be like, I'm super cool and tough. And it's, that's not what your clients need. That's not what people are looking for. And so that really showed me that like, I could actually create a foundation for my business based off of helping people with a major pain point that have the money to pay and that understand that marketing is a thing that works rather than chasing other things like I might not, that might not be in my direct wheelhouse. It'd be a little harder because I can go in, I can talk the same language as any attorney. We can commiserate over law school or different experiences of the law. I know what the pain points are in there. I know what that life is like. Because after my father had left being the you know prosecutor or the DA in my county for first 18 years of my life, he went into private practice so he could pay for us to go to college and stuff. So I saw what it was like running a, a three attorney practice and what the difference there was. Then he eventually went on his own, had a solo firm. So I've been able to see all those different dynamics. I've worked in big law myself and small firms. I've worked in nonprofit legal services organizations. So basically seen you know, pretty much the full spectrum, you know, not every single practice area, but basically the bis different business models and everything. And it's something I know that I'm well set up to assist with so that I can then build a sustainable business that will then allow me to go and use that money and that wealth to pursue my other, you know, creative pursuits and philanthropic pursuits and things of that nature. Sounds like you have some clarity about what you want. It sounds like you've made some changes. And so you think that the process of excitement, crash, and burn are now evened out? Do you think they're, or do you think you're in the same process? I keep coming back to this because I've asked the question and I still don't have a sense of the mindset shift that is going to make a difference in the outcome. Does that make any sense? Yeah, totally. No. And I might, like I said, the biggest one was getting rid of that self-doubt of getting rid of that voice that says, oh no, you're not actually going to be able to do this. This isn't actually going to happen. Now the mindset is, how am I going to make this happen? And so right. that's been really transformational because I'm like, okay, I need a big thing in marketing is, is testing, right? Just like A-B testing, split testing, all sorts of different things. Just, hey, run a test, see if it works. If it doesn't work, move on to something else. Don't kill yourself. Don't put all your eggs in one basket on something that isn't working. Don't follow good money after bad. And so for me, that's actually how I ended up with this podcast. I had originally started doing outreach, trying to get in front of large groups of lawyers, bar associations and stuff like that. And for the most part, it's radio silence. And then 
to some extent, everyone else would just say, oh, it sounds like you do a lot of awesome things for lawyers. Please join our bar association, pay $500 in dues, you know, and all that stuff. And I was just like, oh man, there's gotta be a better way. And then one of my mentors through a, the program I'm in, he had talked about starting a highly targeted podcast to accelerate his business development and everything like that. And I thought that sounds like it could actually be a little more transformational because lawyers love talking about themselves and I could really help a lot more people, reach a lot more people. And so have, you know, essentially been on that journey now and, and things have really accelerated and picked up. We've recorded, this is the ninth show this week, and I'll be launching the first one on Monday, but have probably 20, 30 guests booked, 50 total confirmed. And so it just seems to be coming together and still not a hundred percent sure, like on where that journey is going to take me, but being detached from the outcome of like, oh, it has to, you know, fulfill the original goal I had, or it just has to be something that is sustaining that I can make a living off of, and then I can go from there. And so it's really to me, rather than shooting for the moon right out of the gate, which I used to try and do, I think it's okay, build a foundation that you can build something great off of. And that okay, what I'm hearing is three things. One is confidence. <clears throat> and that could very well be go down to your identity if you're worthy, worthwhile. The second is building processes rather than outcome. And I just dropped the third. What you just said. In terms of being able to build something that's like longer lasting, like building yes. that foundation. Yeah. yeah. Building the foundation and long lasting and processes. So it sounds like those three things are really important. And I would I like to highlight those things because they make such a difference. And what you brought up is, I think, important to all of your listeners to move from just excitement as a driving force to moving to building processes, to building relationships, to building for the long term, and to creating value for other people. And if you move from the emotional excitement driver to the long-term satisfaction driver of building value, putting your skills in place like you have done, then I think that longer term, there's going to be a lot more satisfaction. So I'd like to give you an appreciation for putting those building blocks in place. No, I, I really appreciate that. This is, uh, yeah, some great pushback and, and back and forth on what my processes have been and how things have developed and changed. And I think it's very, very illuminating, both for myself you know, and for my audience. Excellent. I, for the people who are doing those things and following, you know, your example and finding success, what we often find is that their relationship with wealth, success and money and creates a problem just like I had and traders that I hired also had issues. They had psychological issues, mindset issues, belief issues, identity issues that didn't allow them to perform at their maximum, didn't allow them for the success that was available to them. And that's why I'm, I wrote the book Conversations with Money to help people dis establish rapport with money to be able to look at their beliefs around money and to step into an identity around wealth and success that is really them rather than all the layers and all the beliefs and all the crud that, that they collected as they grew up. So I'd love for you to tell me uh, about the three golden keys to personal development. Yeah, the golden keys are first awareness. 
And that means like right now, we can both do this. I'm going to take an awareness check. And first, I, I take an awareness check of my sensations. I notice my stomach is tight. My shoulders are a little tight. My breathing is shallow. So I'm going to take a deeper breath. Oh, and as I do that, my muscles relax. And you notice my voice is even slowing down a bit and is a little bit lower. Oh, that is so much better. So then I look at my feelings and awareness, and I notice that I have some self-judgments right now about what I'm doing, a little critical voice about how well I'm doing on this podcast. And then I look at the thought processes. What am I thinking? And if I can bring this into real-time awareness, the three golden keys, and do this on a continual, sustainable basis, then all of a sudden I can become an agent in my own world. I can create my own world because I am now aware of what's going on in real time. And rather than just being reactive, rather than my physiology setting my emotions and my thoughts creating my tensions, I can now make some choices. So it's first awareness and then acceptance. In other words, I don't say, oh, Rich, you just had a tight stomach, you naughty boy. I can say, okay, I have a tight stomach. That's okay. I have some thoughts. That's okay. And now what would I like? So it's awareness, acceptance, and then asking. So what would I like now? And I this has then become a foundation for my work with my clients and students. Oh, I love that. It's great. Great little framework, so easy to implement on the fly anytime. So I'd love to know, how can we change very deep beliefs about ourselves or the world that might be getting in our way? Well, that's really the core question that you just asked, and also one of the most difficult questions you can ask, because nobody wants to wake up tomorrow and be somebody else even if that somebody else at that core is who they were meant to be and who they are at their deepest levels. Because the identities and egos that we've built up over the years are connected to our survival mechanisms. And those survival mechanisms are powerful and clever and want to keep us safe. And they don't care about the quality of our life or or how happy we are. So when we look at belief changes, my process is to work down to the deepest beliefs we have and how they were created from our identity. And then to start to envision beliefs and identity that will work better for us. And we do this in a number of exercises and using hypnosis and we use it by creating guided visualizations. I will step people through creating that new world. Sometimes they are unable to do it. For example, if I have a new hedge fund manager come to me for coaching, and he'll complain about this, that, the processes he has, and he'll bitch about this and that, or she will. And then I will ask, so what would you like? And then they go back to complaining about this, that, and everything, and what they aren't doing, and why they're this, and the wife, and the husband. Okay, and so what would you like? And they go back to complaining about this, that, and the other thing. 
So the problem is that our survival mechanism will not take us to a new belief or even a new way of looking at ourselves if we can't visualize it, taste it, touch it, feel it, engage with it in a way that our survival mechanism approves of and feels safe. So my job is to create and invite them to create a world that serves them better and that their survival mechanism will approve of. And that is a multi-step process and requires sometimes many exercises, discussions, and some techniques and some self-processes that I give to them that help them create new neural chemistry, new neural circuits, and new behaviors and beliefs that work better for them. Fascinating stuff. So I'd love to know, how has a failure, or at least an apparent failure, set you up for later success? And do you have a favorite failure? No. <laughs> yes, indeed. There's a, a book by Carol Dweck called Mindset. And oh, yeah. in it, awesome. are people who are fixed and failures are not an option. And as a result, they hunker down. There are other people who then, who look at failures like a lesson, a stepping stone, a way to move forward. Elon Musk, how many things has he failed at? Oh my gosh. <laughs> how many things has he succeeded at? So if we look at each, and I like to just label it feedback because failure, it takes some work to, to de deconnect the word failure from emotional reaction. But if we look at each piece of feedback, as a great learning lesson, as learning about ourselves, then we have more skills and more aptitude for the next thing. So each piece of feedback is a stepping stone to a greater future. And that's what I teach my clients. So when they are depressed about failing at something, <clears throat> we reframe that entire experience as a wonderful opportunity. Yeah, love that. Excellent, excellent point. So what are one to three books that have greatly influenced your life? Oh my gosh. <clears throat> I I went, I just mentioned Carol Dweck and, and the mindset. <clears throat> Another one that's been really big has been the book of not knowing by Peter. I just dropped his last name. It'll come. The book of not knowing is that I have gone, I grew up in a religious family, conservative, evangelical, and I had the absolute truth. And then I moved from that to one absolute truth after another. I needed absolute truth to feel comfortable and safe in the world. But what I learned was I was just substituting one absolute truth for another but my process was exactly the same. And the book of not knowing is a real tough read because it really asks you or invites you to let go of needing an absolute truth. And it has opened my eyes because I'm because when I let go of absolute truth and I look at the world as models that work or don't work. Now I'm free to try a lot of things that I wouldn't even be free to try before. So those were uh, really two big ones. There's a number of psychology books in NLP that have made a big difference. 
I think Ayn Rand and Atlas Shrugged is a book that has impacted many people. It has a model that there's many things to adapt from it, although I certainly don't swallow it all, but that had a big impact on my life also. So if you could have a gigantic billboard anywhere with anything on it, what would it be and why? If I had a gigantic billboard, what would it say? Okay, I got it. The word, it would be one word, just one word. Are you ready? Okay. Rapport. Just rapport. Interesting. And by that, I feel a well of emotion as I say this. Rapport with myself. Rapport with my family and those I love. And rapport with the world. And what that means by rapport, excuse me, if we dig into it, it means going back to the golden keys. I accept myself. I, I am aware. I accept. And I can now ask what I want. Rapport with others means that I am open hearted. I come to them with love. And I learn to speak a language that they can hear. I can step into their world, although I may not want to stay there, but I can step into their world and feel it and understand where they're coming from and then step out of it. And from that experience of rapport with them, I can then create communications from my own world. Mm. Beautiful, powerful answer. Are there any quotes you think of often or live your life by? Oh my gosh, I got, I have been collecting quotes in a document that is now probably has 500 quotes in it and nothing pops to mind, but if it does, I'll let you know. (laughs) For sure. I mean, it's like too many. Oh yeah, I'm sure it's overload. (laughs) So who have been some of your heroes throughout your life and how do they help or inspire you? I think one of my heroes has been Joe Ritchie. He's the guy who founded Chicago Research and Trading that I work for in that he looked at the world and invented it fresh. In other words, when he started option trading, futures arbitrage, he didn't learn what everybody else was doing. He had the ability without fear and with confidence to start absolutely from scratch and build his own models that made sense because all the existing behaviors and models and beliefs were built on a whole infrastructure that had just grown some of it out of habit. And by looking fresh at the world, he built one of the most successful private trading companies in the United States. Wow, very impressive. So I'd love to know, what's one of the best or most worthwhile investments you've ever made? And feel free to interpret the word investments as broadly as you like. Oh my gosh, it was buying Bitcoin at $80. <laughs> yeah, that'll do it. <laughs> that'll, that'll do it. The investments that I've made that have really worked, and I'm going to go back to my trading days, have been when there's been a transition in the market. In other words, let's say during the dot-com boom, which you were probably too young to experience in the early 2000s. It's very kind of you to say. (laughs) A lot of people that started investing in it made a lot of money, 
but they were a one trick pony. They didn't look for the change. If I look on the floor, there were times when I sensed the market mood, the whole structure of the market was about to shift. And that's in those shifts, that's where the most money is made. And that's where the most money is lost. And sometimes I misinterpreted those shifts and the processes kept going. But those times that I was ahead of that shift, that is where the biggest money was to be made. So I advise everybody, if they're making money in the uh, cryptocurrencies, and we've seen a big shift there now, if they've made money in the markets, that there is something that is going to change. And when it changes, you can really get hurt. Now, for people who are in, in it for 20, 30 years in the long term, they don't have to worry about those shifts as much. But those who are leveraged, highly invested, those shifts can be so important. So this hour has flown by. This is such a fascinating and engaging conversation. I'm definitely going to have you back because I feel like I could talk to you for hours. So that leads me to my last question of the day. And that is, what is the kindest thing every, anyone has ever done for you? Wow. That's a really powerful question for me because I had a mother who was rather distant and depressed and I didn't feel... I felt one kindness from her in my life. And I remember when I was about uh, six, seven, eight years old, my father was a preacher and we were sweeping the basement of a church and we put this kind of oily sawdust down so it didn't raise dust. And one of the deacons in the church complimented me on my sweeping. Now, this might seem a small thing, but as a kid, I'm now 74 years old. I still remember this. And so my message to everybody is you don't know. You don't know. And I feel strong emotion here. You don't know a moment of kindness that you give to somebody, the impact that can have. Powerful. I couldn't agree more. What a lovely memory. Richard, thank you so much for joining me today. This was an absolute pleasure to speak with you. And yeah, I can't wait to speak with you again someday. We're going to have a lot of fun. Keep up the good work. Keep up the confidence. Keep delivering value. Stay aware of your physiology, your emotions, and your thoughts as you do this. And there's just a long way to go and a long way up. And I so appreciate the invitation the questions and our just creative discussion. It's been wonderful. Yeah, I totally agree. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you so much to all of our listeners for tuning in to today's show. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you found us so that others can find it as well. And follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at the LUE Podcast or visit our website at theluepodcast.com. If you'd like to support this show even further, I'd love to invite you to become a patron of the show. For as little as $5 per month, you can help us continue to produce high-quality shows with amazing guests like you heard today. To become a patron, please visit patreon.com slash the LUE podcast. We look forward to having you tune in next time for the next episode of Law, the Universe, and Everything. I'm Pacifico Soldati, wishing you peace, love, and awesomeness. Yeah.